to another episode of Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams. I'm joined this week by Inside Hockey's Chris Lynch. Chris, how are you? I'm very well. I'm just amazed at all the driving I've been doing for hockey stuff lately. You've been all over the place. It's a busy week this week. There was a Tuesday game. There's a Wednesday game. There's going to be games on Sunday. Everyone's trying to get in some hockey before the holiday break comes up. Yeah, we're right before the uh, right before this players have to sit for exams, and right before uh, uh, they uh, right before the winter season sets in. And then after this weekend, there's a long well, twelve days or so of dormants before tournament season kicks in. So uh, they'll kill themselves right now, go take exams, and then uh, take an actual breather. It will be a well earned breather. Often a turning point in the season for some teams, the up and down sort of teams that you see bounce all over the rankings in the early season. This is usually the time of year where one of them finds their stride and really starts to turn it around and uses the break to get some much needed rest and to get themselves together. Yeah, and there's a lot of teams uh, that really could use this time, both in the bottom levels of uh of the rankings and those in the others receiving votes category. I'm sure we will talk about many of them as uh, time goes on here. We can get right into last week's action and talk about the weekend that was on Friday, Notre Dame. We're going to start with Notre Dame. They beat Michigan State, as always, poor Sparty, 3-1. to one. And won two to nothing on Saturday night. Both both games at Michigan State. Notre Dame, so far the class of the Big Ten. They can play with anybody, and they've looked excellent to this point in the season. Yeah, uh, I they're outstanding. Eight and zero in conference. Fourteen three and one. They have the leading assists man in the nation, and by a pretty substantial margin, Jake Evans. Is uh, is a leading candidate for the Hobie Award. We'll talk more about uh, who we think, but I think Notre Dame has two prime candidates for the Hobie. And Jake Evans, who only has seven goals but twenty-one assists for twenty-eight points. The next closest in both categories is Troy Terry of Denver, and Terry only has sixteen assists and twenty-three points. That's five fewer than Evans has in both categories. So. <laughs> Excuse me. He's been just outstanding so far uh, this season, and has been setting up plays left, right, and center, really filling in for Andrews Bjork departing. And Kel Morris has also been outstanding. He was voted National Player of uh, of the Month by NCAA for uh, for November. He's been he's, he was he was fantastic, and he's a lot of fun to watch. I've gotten to see some of his game tape and. It's a shame that Notre Dame doesn't play in Hockey East because I can't see them in person, but I've been watching some of their game tape, and they're for real. They are absolutely for real this year. Hale Morris's numbers are a bit eye-popping. A 1.4672 GAA to this point. 13-1, and one, no ties, just 21 goals allowed fantastic just a sophomore as well so he's he's really stepped up for Notre Dame and they had some questions at goaltender they really they got a lot out of their previous goaltender and it was a shame to see him go but they picked up with Kale Morris he's been excellent in the early going and so is Jake Evans who is really a playmaker the kind of playmaker that you see a lot in college hockey the he didn't get a whole lot of his own goals. He has seven, which is a pretty good number, but he facilitates. He gets things done. He creates things and finds the open man for a good goal. Yeah, and worth noting about uh, about Morris as well, the 955 save percentage is best in the nation, the winning percentage also best in the nation. Second in shootouts behind Jake Kiley, who's another of uh, Clarkson, a, another a worthy candidate of uh, of the Richter Award, uh, which for the best goaltender. So 
those two, I think, will be competing for uh, that category all season. But um, just an outstanding year so far for Notre Dame. They're they're fun to watch, and I expect that they'll win the Big Ten, and I would not be shocked at all if they made it to their second consecutive Frozen Four. It'd be the first time that they went to -to back-to-back Frozen Fours in their program's history. I remember last year at the Hockey East semifinals, Jeff Jackson talked a fair amount about how grueling it was for Notre Dame to play in a conference where they were nowhere near any of the other teams. They didn't, he, he said he looked forward to getting on the bus and going to big 10 opponents, as opposed to having to get on a plane and go play some of these hockey East opponents that create long weekends for them. They had a lot of travel miles, certainly more than any of the other hockey East teams, which would put them at a disadvantage. And by the end of the season, they looked a bit gassed. It was surprising to me that they picked up and played so well in the NCAA tournament, but it shouldn't have been given their talent level. They were fantastic. But Jeff Jackson said it himself. The travel was really rough on them last season. Without all that travel they they look to be even better this year. Oh yeah. They, uh, uh, I'm willing to believe what Jeff Jackson says, considering that Jackson is, a multiple-time national champion with Lake Superior State in the late 80s and 90s. So I heard him talk about that at uh, at the semifinals after they got thrashed by Lowell. And I thought, you might be overselling your team a little bit, but having watched them against Minnesota and Lowell again in the NCAA tournaments, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't exaggerating. It's just a shame that they ran into a buzzsaw named Denver who was... I don't think anyone was going to beat them except for maybe kind of possibly Duluth. But Notre Dame is for real. I They're clearly the class of the Big Ten, and at least right now, there's no one else who is... Uh, well, Wisconsin is over 500 at 4-3-1, and one, but second place is Penn State at 4-4-2, four, four, and, and third place is Minnesota at 4-5-1. and one. That should be a testament to just how competitive the Big Ten is, that they have uh, every team has at least a 500 record overall, except for Sparty, and even still, they're just one game under 500. It's the building of another super conference in conjunction with uh, with the NCHC. It's Western hockey right now is starting to dominate. It was, of course, a big weekend for those NCHC teams last week as well. Denver got a bit of a rematch with. Minnesota Duluth playing at Duluth for a pair of games. They won them both, winning one to nothing on Friday and two to one on Saturday. Denver has taken pride in how well they've played defense over the years. They looked fantastic against the Bulldogs. Yeah. Um when uh when Jim Montgomery was out here in Boston, he talked about how the back checking and the uh the skill set that you need in order to win games. Uh, They felt like their offense this year was better than what they had last year, which is pretty accurate considering how well Borkstrom and Terry have, uh, have developed, but their defense did need to take a step up and to their undying credit, it really has. Also Tanner Gillette is still for all our talk about, uh, Morris and uh, Kylie, and we'll talk about other goaltenders as the podcast goes on, but Tanner Gillette is at this point the most decorated collegiate hockey goaltender and the one who has nothing to prove, and yet he continues to prove that he's one of the best in the country. Of course, that helped Denver stay at number one in the USCHO poll. The I think the closest matchup coming in of the weekend in the NCHC was North Dakota versus Western Michigan, North Dakota being the hosts of the weekend series, and Friday lived up to the billing. It was a 4-3 win for the Fighting Hawks. They took the weekend by winning 4-1 on Saturday night, and they continue to assert themselves the top three teams in the country are in the top two teams in the country are in the NCHC, but look out for North Dakota. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, 
Fighting Hawks or the Fighting Sioux, as a lot of North Dakota people will always refer to them by, they've they've got real talent. Um, I think the rankings this week are fair. I think Clarkson and Notre Dame do deserve the spots that they've got. North Dakota at five, I think that's completely deserving, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun seeing what uh, what they can do. Twenty seventeen was. This is going to sound weird, but 2017 was a very up-and-down season that ended on something of a high note because they ended up winning the NCHC tournament, which is, you know, or they, they, went to the, they went to the championship game, excuse me, they lost in the NCHC final to, uh, to Duluth and almost beat BU in a classic game. So it's nice to see them having, I guess, would be considered a, quote, bounce back, close quote, year, despite the fact that they've, Never really slumped, but uh, recent national champions are, they're fun. They're a lot of fun to watch, and I really want to go to the Ralph at some point and catch a game there. I hear it's a special experience. And rounding out the NCHC action, St. Cloud State put on a show at Omaha. 7-4 to four on Friday night, 5 nothing on Saturday night. It looks pretty dominant in just sweeping Omaha who came in with a number next to their name. So they're no slouches themselves, but they couldn't hang with St. Cloud state very long. And that scoring attack was on its game. They're no slouch in Omaha, but I, I really don't think that Omaha is deserving of the number, at least not yet. Um, They've got real talent. They're an NCHC school, but not every single NCHC school is St. Cloud. Um, simple as uh, simple as that. I mean, Jimmy Schultz, who was National Player of the Month, uh, I think last month, continues to have a great run of it. And Robbie Jackson also continues to have a very good run at it. And polling as well. So it's a loaded offensive unit. And if there's any inconsistencies or any issues in Offensive, which is my understanding of what Omaha's problems have been, St. Cloud State will expose it. And no shame in losing to a team that, at this point at least, is, is a better team. Probably the best offense in the conference. They can really light it up, St. Cloud State. Denver's I'm, not, got... I'm not sure I'd agree with that. I think Denver does have the better offense. In, or at least the better offensive talent. It helps that Denver's top two scorers are Troy Terry, who's second in points and assists, and Heinrich Borgstrom, who's tied for the national lead in goals scored with 13 and is third in points, tied with Sheldon Rampai of Clarkson. So I, I think that Denver has the best total offense, or at least the best top-tier talent offense. Big weekend ahead for Denver. They're going to be playing Colorado College, who fell out of the rankings, but they've been better than they had been in recent years, and that is a huge rivalry. So that's going to be a home-and-home, and it's going to be quite the pair of games for to test out Denver in big games and to see if Colorado College is farther back than maybe people even thought. Yeah, throw out any semblance. <clears throat> see me. Throw out any semblance of uh, there being a talent discrepancy between Denver and Colorado College. The battle for the gold pan, as they call it, is one of those special rivalries. It's up there with Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan State, BUBC. It's one of those special college hockey rivalries, and this is going to be a great weekend. Uh, if you're in Denver, go. Even if you're not a hockey fan in Denver or in Colorado Springs, go. This is this is going to be fun, and I would not be shocked at all if Colorado College were to at least get a split out of the weekend with uh, with with Denver. It would be a lot of fun. Meanwhile, St. Cloud State's going to be hosting North Dakota, and speaking of fun, that's going to be a great pair of games in its own right. It's the gift that keeps on giving this college hockey season. I don't know exactly what to make of this. This is at the Herb Brooks Center in St. Cloud, but North Dakota does travel pretty well, so uh, I will 
not make any predictions about what I think about that uh, that matchup. I just I just don't know what to expect from it. It should be fun to watch. That's what I expect from it. That's about all I can expect. But these are two great teams, and they're both coming in on quite a roll. So they could they could cancel each other out. It could be a great weekend. It could be the kind of weekend where you can hear from both student sections because, like you said, they're not that far apart. And that's much like Colorado College Denver. This isn't quite a huge rivalry, but North Dakota at this point is rivals with almost everybody. So I'd say it's going to be a big pair of games. And that's, I think, the marquee matchup of the week by a considerable amount with all, you know, all fairness to Notre Dame at Wisconsin, which should also be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, best teams competing for national championships will be competing for the NCHC. I don't have any disagreement with that being the marquee game of the week. Over in Hockey East, it was a big weekend for the Comab schools as BU and BC hosted a home-and-home with one another and split the weekend as they often do. It was a bit interesting, though, because the split, both road teams won. Yeah, I was at both of those games, and it was weird. I mean, like, not bad weird, but uh, just a weird thing to see how the road teams were in control and on their game, and especially in really hostile environments. And the two games were markedly different from each other. So the first game between um, <clears throat> excuse me the first game at BC was a shootout that BU won 7 to 4 uh the offense was clicking in a way that's kind of ridiculous and uh BU flexed their muscles and showed that they can come back they were down 2 to nothing to start they led 3 to 2 at the end of the first period after being down 2-0 and they flexed their muscles and showed that they have real offense and then in the second game, BC showed that they can play very good defensive hockey. And Joseph Wool made 36 saves on 37 BU shots. He was the story of the second game. So these are two really talented teams. Jerry York said after the second game that BU's record, it, it, it belies their, their talents. Um, they're a game under 500 at 7, 8, and 1. They'll get a chance to even that up against Lowell tomorrow night, but they're 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 both really talented teams. Uh, they're one of those up and down teams that uh, uh, should be looked at as a team that could turn the corner come tournament season. First thing you said about those games is they were weird, and I think I want to expand on that a little bit. Hockey East is a little weird this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, BC is the best in-conference record and has really struggled outside the conference. Lowell has gotten off to a really slow start, but has started to rebound in his tops and the others receiving votes category. New Hampshire has been, well, they started off hot, cooled off because three or four of their main forwards got injured, and now they're starting to get back healthy. Providence has been promising, but not following through completely, and BU has been all over the place. And Northeastern has been all over the place at various points. So I don't know what to make of this conference at this point. What I'll say is it's deep. There are a lot of teams. It almost seems like anybody can beat anybody except Vermont, Maine, and maybe Merrimack. Although you said, as you, you might point out, Merrimack has tripped up plenty of teams in Hockey East over the past few years. But you have... Massachusetts, Amherst, who's a little better than they had been in recent years. Connecticut, who, when they play on a Tuesday night, they seem invincible. I don't know what it is about Connecticut and Tuesday night, but they've won two games in a row, and both of them in very impressive fashion on Tuesday nights. And yeah. you've got a Northeastern team who can beat anybody and who can lose to anybody. Well, your your guys at Northeastern will get a chance to uh, prove their mettle on the road at Conti Forum in what should be at least the uh, the marquee game in the East. Saturday night, the first place Eagles play the 
second place uh, Northeastern. But I would warn you to not fully sleep on Maine. I think the Black Bears might be starting to come out of, at least starting to come out of their dormant phase. And I'll admit that it is very early in the season, so we could see this go either way. But right now, Maine is tied with New Hampshire for seventh place. They're both 4-4-1, four, four, and one, but Maine's con- out-of-conference record hasn't been that good at 6-7-1. and one. UNH's con- out-of-conference record has been quite good. They're the 13th team in the nation, and their, their season is only going to get more uh, interesting because New Hampshire has the most action, of, I think, of any college hockey team going on this week. Three games. Yeah, they played Wednesday night and won against RPI. And they've got uh, they've got a game on Saturday against Army and a game on Sunday against Merrimack. Those are those are three winnable games, but Merrimack at the end of that could be a tough one because they're going to have played three games in a week. They should be a bit tired, and Merrimack they might not be able to compete with anybody, but in hockey East they can take down a tired team at any time. They can steal a game. Uh, I won't rule out what Merrimack is able and capable of doing. And, uh, it should be a fun time getting to watch all this stuff. And a point about UMass Amherst, you're absolutely right. They've been a much better team recently than in years past. Greg Carvel came over from St. Lawrence. He is a great coach. Uh, he, was, he recruited very well to St. Lawrence, and now that he's got a better market in Amherst to work with instead of going about an hour away from Ottawa to uh, to play college hockey. He's going to have a lot more leeway to try and recruit people to Amherst. So don't be shocked if the Minutemen start making a charge in the conference in the next few years. And that brings us to one of their big rivals, Massachusetts Lowell, who will play a home-and-home with Boston University this weekend. Both of these teams have shown promise, but again, we're talking about that weird hockey East this year that one week UMass Lowell will look like the Lowell of the last few years under Norm Bazin, where they can beat pretty much anybody, and then the next week they'll get swept by a an opponent that you would think they would be able to beat. And then you have you who had a brutal out-of-conference schedule. They scheduled everybody that was willing to play them, and it didn't necessarily go so well, but they've had some weekends where they've looked great as well, and some nights like Friday night at Connie Forum where they looked about as good as anybody in the nation. Yeah, both these teams have the talent, and I'd say these are probably the two most frustrating teams in all of college hockey. I think BU is talented enough to win the national championship this season. I haven't seen them mentally have it all together for a long enough stretch to make me think that they could make it to the Boston Garden for the hockey semifinals. Uh, I just need to see more from them. They're currently sitting in fourth place. They're tied with UConn for 11 points, but UConn has played two more games and lost two more games than uh than BU has. So there's a lot up in the air for uh, for the Terriers. They've got so much ability, so much scoring prowess, and they just haven't fallen through on enough of that. And Lowell, I feel bad for Tyler Wall. He was great last season. He was he he came out cold as ice to start this season and has been replaced by uh Chris uh, Chris Hernberger and he has been in in his stead. Hernberger has been outstanding for the Riverhawks. So I feel bad for Wall, who lost the starting job after a great season last year. Yeah, that's that's rough to lose your job like that. Although it's a testament to how good Lowell's been that they can get such a good performance out of a goalie that came into the season expecting to be a backup to be maybe the second night of a long of of a tough, of a rough weekend but now he's taken the the lead role and he's helped Lowell out a lot so suddenly they look 
a bit better than they had early on in the season, but they still drop games to just about anybody as well as pick up games against just about anybody. So they're, like you said, they're a frustrating team and it should, it'll be an interesting weekend to see them and BU matched up against each other because they've both played a lot like that. They've been up and down. Yeah. And I got to point out just uh, a few of Christopher Hernberg's stats of junior for, for Lowell, he's started 10 games. He has a 164 goals allowed average. That has him in the that has him like uh, third overall in the nation, just behind Jake Kiley of Clarkson and Kale Morris of Notre Dame, and a 939 save percentage. Again, that has him in the top five. So far this season, you can't undersell what Hernberg has done for the River Hawks, and you also can't undersell the kind of offensive test that BU is going to give him uh, on Friday and Saturday night. Well, it'll be quite the game, and you mentioned the, in Hockey East at least, the matchup of the week would be Northeastern at BC on Saturday night. You're going to be at Connie Forum for that game? I will be, yes. There's another pair of teams that have been up and down, but they've been up and down in a different way than, say, BU or Lowell where Northeastern's played pretty consistently well with their skaters throughout the season, but their goaltending will come and go. They'll have a really good weekend, and Northeastern will look excellent, and then they'll have a bad night, and Northeastern could lose to just about anybody when when their back line, their goaltending's not performing. And BC had a really rough out-of-conference schedule, but once the Hockey East play picked up, they've been on fire. So these are two frustrating teams in their own right matching up as well. And I have to point out, since we've mentioned poll numbers before, Northeastern's number 10. So I get to call Northeastern a top 10 team this week. That makes me smile. (laughs) Northeastern is 10 and BC is 14 to enter the weekend. So... It's a top 15 matchup. It's, these teams have already played once, and BC rolled some funky bounces into, uh, into a victory uh, the last time out at Matthews Arena. It was not a particularly good showing for, uh, for goaltending for Northeastern. You're right, Caden Primo and Ryan Ruck have been about as consistent as a toddler bouncing on a trampoline. They've been all over the place. So uh, I think it should be a lot of fun to watch. And uh, I would expect that there will be some real, I would expect that there will be some real goal scoring. I think BC can keep pace with a lot of people. But uh, if Joe Wall is on his game at home against the big team, then BC will come out with the victory because they have the stronger defense. That's the thing that I think you'd agree with me. Northeastern, traditionally has struggled playing defensive hockey. BC has excelled, especially this season, playing defensive hockey. That's absolutely right. Northeastern under Jim Madigan has been more of a scoring-based team, and they've left defense to the goaltending. The most, most of their defensemen, they get almost as involved in offense as they do on the other side of the ice. They like to be able to score from anywhere and that's been to their credit they've certainly put together a lot of goal scoring and a lot of playmaking from having all five guys on the ice be threats to score but it's left their goaltending in a position where last year Ryan Ruck was asked to do everything for the Huskies and he couldn't and it was considered a disappointing season for him and I'm not sure that's entirely fair but now you have Caden Primo who came in. He was drafted in the NHL draft, so he's a higher caliber of prospect. And he's been a bit inconsistent. He's also been hurt. He's also been – there was a weekend where people kept hitting him in the head, and I, I don't know why. And he's been off and on a bit, but he's also had to deal with the same – There's defensively there's just not that much there for Northeastern they allow a lot of shots they allow a lot of they kind of put their goalie in a position to do a lot of work I mean Caden Primo is a quality goaltender and I I think that he should probably be the starting goaltender for much of the rest of the season for uh for Northeastern all credit to Ruck for 
leading you guys to a uh, a conference title in 2016. But uh, Primo has impressed on a on a more consistent basis than Ruck has. And you're right, both of them have been injured. There was there was a weekend at BU where Ruck got concussed uh, when Patrick Harper came came through and caught him in the head. Madigan called it a cheap shot in the press conference immediately following the game and was not shy about calling it a cheap shot. He's given all kinds of credit. He'll stand up for his uh he'll stand up for his team. He's he's a he's a north he's northeastern through and through. So he's a good coach. Um he's going against the legendary coach this weekend and you can only hope that Primo or Ruck, whoever gets the start Probably Primo is is going to be on his game because Joseph Wool is going to be on his game for BC. And Madigan goes back with that program. He played at Northeastern, of course, back in the early '80s when they were first breaking through. In fact, he's one of very few people who can say he went to the Frozen Four as a member of the Northeastern Huskies because they went in 1982 when Madigan was on the team. So it. It's part of why he changed the culture for Northeastern. When he came in to that point, and I can say this as an alumnus, everything was about whether or not Northeastern would finally win the beanpot. They could go, oh, for the rest of the season for all most people cared, so long as they finally broke through in those two games. And it wasn't until Madigan got there that they figured out no, really, to win that tournament, you have to be a national championship contender, so you have to start looking at trophies like winning Hockey East, which they've done, like being higher in the rankings, trying to get to the Frozen Four, which you can do through winning things like the Bean Pot, but you can't take a shortcut and just hope you win these two games and hope everything magically changes, and I think he's been the guy who's finally gotten them away from hoping for that Whereas in previous eras, it was all about whether they could finally break through and win those games, which was a bit of a defeatist attitude. I remember the Bruce Crowder era. They would go into the season with a coach that honestly said, I don't think we're going to finish higher than fourth place in Hockey East. And he was being optimistic by saying that, but that's a huge culture change in just 12 years. Yeah, the expectation of winning is. Uh... It's the same reason why the Cubs turned around and became a World Series winner. Every single, the same thing for the Astros. Every single team that has won anything hasn't lucked into it. They've gone out expecting that we are going to try and win every single game that we play, and our goal is to you know, win the national championship. Same as every other team in the country. So it's a great thing that Northeastern is. Uh, is upping their game. I, I think it's great for Boston area hockey that every single Boston area school in BUBC, Harvard, and Northeastern are really competitive. Harvard's disappointed as well in their own way, but Harvard still has enough talent to really compete in both the ECAC and the Beanpot. So it should be a fun year, and I'm happy that Northeastern made the culture change that they did. I think you're right. It does change the landscape quite a bit to have that fourth school that is suddenly taking in NHL caliber prospects, which those used to be very few and far between for Northeastern. Now they have two or three a year that look like they could play on a higher level. You have these guys that even the undrafted ones, suddenly Zach Aston Reese, who I don't know what was expected of him, but certainly... I don't think many people came into last year thinking he would be a Hobie Baker candidate. He led the nation in scoring. So they've changed quite a bit from what they had been for a very long time. And they had to, because for a long time, they were just the fourth of four schools and they were happy to be there. And the, you know, the sarcastic quote might be being pot participants since 1952. <laughs> oh, be nice. I mean, I, I, I'll say again that the 80s were a great time. Uh, 82 is the best season in Northeastern history, and uh, 88 was also pretty cool winning uh, winning the Beanpot that year as well. So uh, a Hockey East, uh, or excuse me, a Beanpot contender in the 80s and a Hockey East participant every other year. 
but uh, is, is maybe the more accurate way, but a little less uh, succinct. It, it'll be a really competitive Beanpot this year. I wouldn't be shocked if the final ended up being Northeastern and Harvard. That would be would a be first weird. and something that I've hoped for for a long time, just because it would be a first. And that's one of the more shocking statistical quirks. Even if you know Northeastern's history of you know kind of being the also ran in this tournament, it's an odd quirk that the same four teams meet every year. And in two out of every three years, this could happen. And yet it never has. So it, it, this would be a good opportunity for it. But I think going back to one of our tones of the day, when we get to that point, it's going to be a weird bean pot. It's going to be a very strange tournament with these four teams that could do anything on any given night. There could be, we could have one of those situations where a team loses the tournament before another team wins it. Yeah, I, this is a funky year for, uh, for Eastern hockey in general. I mean, I, the hockey East as well as, uh, as the ECAC, I don't think many people expected Clarkson to be as good as they are or, uh, Colgate or, or Cornell or, I or for upstate New York to apparently be the hub of Eastern hockey for uh, for as long as they've been. Uh, Harvard has been weird and disappointing. BU and BC and Northeastern have all had their ups and downs. This is uh, expanding on the theme. Eastern hockey in general has been kind of weird. Western hockey has made sense. Denver, St. Cloud, North Dakota have all competed. Okay, that all makes sense. Notre Dame. It makes sense that they're competitive. It's quite surprising how good they are, but I think they're they're a respectable team. And Minnesota State has been very good in the in the WCHA, and that's kind of respectable and acceptable. Uh, Eastern hockey has not made a lot of sense this year, and it's kind of been more fun because of it. I think, and it makes less sense now because Cornell split with Miami. You know, losing two to one on Friday night and winning four to nothing on Saturday. Clarkson. However, handled their business against Canisius, winning five to one. Yeah, I mean Canisius will be a tough team for uh, for a lot of people it, coming out of the Atlantic. It's Canisius and Niagara who will be uh, who will be fun to watch coming out of that conference. Uh, Cornell's head coach Schaefer has praised Niagara, and is, uh, I've heard him talk say nice things about. Uh, uh, about Canisius as well, so it's going to be a fun time getting to watch. And I'll, I'll note again: Upstate New York has apparently been the hub of Eastern hockey this year. We'll see Clarkson have a home and home with St. Lawrence this weekend. Clarkson comes in number three in the country, which I think is the surprise so far of the college hockey season. The positive surprise, at least, that Clarkson is a top five team. They're number three. They're going to be taking on St. Lawrence back and forth. That's going to be a matchup. That's that's the only ECAC games of the weekend that are in conference. Are the yeah. two Clark Arkson's St. Lawrence games. Yeah, not a lot to dive into for uh for that conference. There's the other ECAC teams are playing. Quinnipiac is hosting Maine. Uh, Brown is at Vermont, Dartmouth hosts Bentley, Union hosts Holy Cross, but a lot of these matchups really, with respect to these teams, aren't that interesting or that compelling, and I'm only keeping track of them to see uh, how standings shape up. I don't think Harvard's playing. I don't think Harvard is playing until they're in the Catamount Cup, which is a tournament up in Burlington, Vermont, and they're starting to get their season turned around after a cold stretch. But uh, it, Union's starting to do some stuff as well, so it's a it, it's a funky season for Eastern hockey. It's a really funky season for Eastern hockey, and I I'm surprised with uh, the way things have gone out out uh, out this side of the Mississippi. It's it's very surprising. Have, as far as upcoming games, I will highlight these. They're not anyone that's going to compete for anything other than this, but there will be something awarded this weekend, the Governor's Cup in Alaska, as 
Anchorage hosts Alaska for two games in Sullivan Arena. They played earlier in the season and Alaska swept Anchorage. But if Alaska wins so much as one game here, or even takes a tie, they win the Governor's Cup, which is, we talk about rivalries all the time. There's one that is unique because that's really all these teams have played for for a while. Yeah, the Alaska schools get into it. Uh, I wish I I wish I watched more of them, and honestly, I wish that uh, the Alaska schools were more competitive in conference because, or more competitive in general, because I think it would be awesome for a national contender to be out in the great North Country of Alaska. I just think it would be. I think it would be a lot of fun. I would, uh, I would watch them, and I would want to see them do well for the sake of the story. Small town, place, small state, big land, but not a lot of people live up there. So, you're right to circle that on the on the watch list. And that that puck drops seven of seven Alaska time, which I think translates to somewhere about eleven or. Or twelve midnight for us here here east. It's a weird time timing for all of us. Yeah, that's that's part of what would make it a little weird for them to be competitive on a national level. But it'd also be great because that's just later on that you can watch hockey. And if they got good enough that people would have to start televising their games a little bit more, that game's not going to be available on. I don't care how deep your cable is, you can't find that one. But it it'll be a fun one to follow. Yeah, I mean, odd for someone who's a fan of a college hockey or an alum of a college hockey blue blood to be saying that he would love to see one of the smaller schools competing more. But I think it would be a lot of fun, and it it might lead to BU and BC traveling to Alaska to play some games up there. And for novelty value alone, I think that's a lot of fun. It is, and you hear sometimes that those schools, you know, the, the budget's limited, so the hockey program has come under scrutiny at those schools in the past. So it it might be a thing we don't get to see very for, for very much longer. So if they had a season or two where they were suddenly a really tough team, it would be great to see because it might be our it might be college hockey's farewell to that to a state that loves hockey about as much as any other in the country. Yeah. Uh, I'd be hard pressed to think of any major players who come out of uh, who have come out of that state. I mean, I'm sure that there are pro players who have come from Alaska, but I'd be again hard pressed to think of them. But it's a worthwhile thing, and I hope for uh, I hope for their sake that they're able to keep it going. I really hope that uh, that the sports work and that uh, the budget doesn't collapse in on itself. We need more teams playing this sport. We say it quite a bit. There are only 60 schools that are Division I hockey programs, and that's not enough. They're, it would be nicer to get that number closer to 75 or 80. It, it, would, it would be really nice. So, again, any billionaires listening to that love hockey, just go ahead and find – a school that needs it and fund their program. We we have plenty of suggestions on a previous episode, and I'm sure you can think of a few others. So if, if you have the money and you really love hockey, this would be a good way to get the world some more hockey. Again, aren't there a couple billionaires in New York City who could uh, fund, I don't know, St. John's, Columbia, Fordham, Columbia especially. There's got to be a few billionaires who went there, right? You would think. Yeah, I mean, it, it would be nice to see something like that. But, yeah, we'll keep we'll keep hammering away, and at least we enjoy the sport that we have right now. By the way, uh, do you want to talk about Hobie stuff? Uh, Hobie Baker for uh, uh, for who we think has made real improvements this in, uh, in that awards hunt? We will, but really quickly, I'd like to get everybody a free trial for hbo it you can sign up for hbo on amazon channels i know that the college students listening to this finals are coming up or for some of you they're going on right now 
and you've got some time on your hands right when those are over. You can't wait for those to be over so you can finally get to all the all the goofing off you want to do. So if you want to catch up on some HBO shows like Game of Thrones, Vice Principals, and various others, you can sign up through Amazon. Just follow the link on our Blog Talk radio page and get a quick free trial to sign up for HBO on Amazon channels. Getting back to it on Puck University, we're going to go through the the Hobie Baker candidates out there right now. It's a little early, but we're nearing what is more or less the midway point of the season. So it, it's about time we started talking about people that might emerge in the Hobie Baker race. I'd like to come up with at least one from each conference, but I think our front runner, and you mentioned this before, is senior forward from Notre Dame, Jake Evans, who leads the nation in scoring by five points with 28. And is leading the assists category also by by five. He's got 21 assists. The second place person is Troy Terry with 16. And I honestly think the second place uh, runner for the Hobie Baker Award is goaltender Kel Morris, also from Notre Dame. He's been absolutely phenomenal. He's the best goaltender on the winningest team, and he's leading the Irish to what has a chance to be a magnificent and special season. So I really think the two top runners for the Hobie are playing in South Bend, Indiana right now. That's an interesting thought. And of course, we've seen goaltenders go deep into the Hobie race in the past, but it's rare to see one actually win the award. It's been quite a while since a goaltender has been really seriously considered for the Hobie Baker Award. But Kale Morris is doing such a good job at Notre Dame that he might earn himself at least a spot in the Hobie hat trick when it all comes down to it. But Evans, I think, is the front runner. There are a couple of guys at Denver in Henrik Borgstrom and Troy Terry who seem to be the class of the NCHC in this regard, that they're two and three in the country in scoring. Borgstrom's tied for the nation's lead in goals scored. And Terry has 23 points on the season, 16 assists. A number of those coming on Borgstrom's shooting. And both of those guys, Terry and Borgstrom, could absolutely be playing in the NHL today. Not, not, uh, not in the AHL. I really think that Terry and Borgstrom have the skill to be playing in the National Hockey League today. If they, they were offered pro contracts, Terry by the Ducks and Borgstrom, by the Panthers, respectively. Borkstrom would especially be almost immediately given a spot on the Panthers. Terry would have a little bit of a harder time cracking the Ducks lineup, but I th- I think they're both talented enough to do so. Um, you're right about them being the class of the NCHC, looking for someone else. Jimmy Schultz would be the other NCHC guy of St. Cloud State that you'd consider for the Hobie. He's been... He's been on quite a bit of scoring sheets. He's probably the defenseman with the best chance. In fact, I'd say he's definitely the defenseman with the best chance at it right now with 19 points. That puts him tied for 14th in the country in points overall. He's been a great defenseman. He's got he's the heart of that St. Cloud State team, and I think he he is a fair candidate as well coming out of the NCHC. The other conferences, it's kind of you're you're wondering if someone can make a run. I think right now you look at, for example, Hockey East might I'd love to say Adam Gaudet might have, you know, some kind of say in the Hobie race, but he would have to go on a real scoring tear right now and get higher up than tenth in the country, tied for tenth in points. He has ten goals and ten assists. Um, as far as someone who could win it, I'd go back to Borgstrom because not only does he have 13 goals, he's only played 13 games. So right now he has a goal a game. I think if you finish the season with a goal a game on average in a conference that tough, they should just hand you the Hobie. 
Yeah, I I mean, I'll admit I'm partial towards goaltenders, and I do think that Morris has been magnificent. But I could, if Borgstrom keeps up that pace, and all, all, all things considered, it is really hard to keep up that kind of pace, especially in a conference known for beating you up and taking your lunch money. I would, uh, I think Borgstrom would end up winning it. There's a lot of, just a few notes about uh, the Hobie Award for breakdowns. The position that's won the Hobie the most is center. Second is with 15 uh, Hobie winners at the center position. Uh, Left wingers are second most with 11. There are seven defensemen who have won it. And then there are only two goaltenders, and for some odd reason, only two right wingers who have ever won the Hobie Baker Award. The last goaltender to win it was Ryan Miller in 2001 for Michigan State. The last right winger to ever win it was Junior Lassard of Minnesota Duluth in 2004. I just find it kind of interesting how a goaltender and a right winger have, a, have the same success rate of, of winning the Hobie. I think goaltenders have a problem, and it's the same problem pitchers have getting the MVP award in Major League Baseball, that there's their own award. There's the Richter Award for the best goaltender, and that's a serious award in and of itself. So I I think a lot of the logic goes to, well, they have their own awards, so you have to be particularly special to even be considered for the Hobie. And as you pointed out, the Richter Award isn't necessarily an open and shut case. Cale Morris has been fantastic, but Jake Kiley leads the country in goals allowed, in turn, or goals allowed average so far to this point. And you have some fantastic performances from some other goalies, including North Dakota senior Cam Johnson, though he's only played 10 games. There's there's a lot of good goaltending in the country right now. And, of course, you mentioned Tanner Gillette, who isn't very high on the goaltending leaders list right now, but could easily get on a tear and carry Denver for a bit, as we've seen in the past. He's the defending winner of this trophy, after all. Gillette has the least to prove of... I think he has the least to prove of any player, goaltender or otherwise, in the country. He's won everything already. He's won the Richter. He's won a national championship. He's won all-conference marks. So Gillette has absolutely the least to prove. But in the discussion for um, uh, for the Richter, which I'm happy that they have this award now. They've only been awarding it since 2014. So I'm, I'm happy that uh, College Hockey decided to do that finally. Morris and Kylie definitely are the leading candidates. Colton Point the Dallas pick is certainly uh, worthy of consideration over at Colgate. And I mentioned him earlier in the podcast, but the job that Christopher Hernberg has done at UMass Lowell, uh, only starting 10 games, but turning around that team's performance with the with top five marks in both goals allowed average and save percentage has been nothing short of remarkable. So I'd consider him as well for the Richter. But Morris has been... So spectacular so far with the number and style of saves that he's made and with the uh, the winning that he has done that he would enter the discussion for uh, for Hobie Award winners for me. And it is in the way too early department, but I think he's been so outstanding that I would at least have to give him a, a nod for the Hobie hat trick. Who are some people that might be on the outside looking in right now, but it's so early, we're about to go into break. Who are some people that you think could get on a real run and suddenly end up in the discussion for the Hobie Baker Award when we when we actually get close to awarding it? I think Adam Gaudet from Northeastern will uh, will get on a run. Uh, Andrew Sturtz at Penn State has a real interesting case. Uh, looking for guys a bit further down in in the listing. This might sound a bit biased, but I really think Patrick Harper of Boston University could go on a, a splurge and uh, and make things really interesting. You also mentioned Brett Sapinski. Union's been putting up Hobie Baker candidates for the last few years, and Sapinski, the junior forward, is as good as they have. 15 assists, that, that puts him in the top five in the nation in assists 
and good for 21 points. That's tied for sixth in the nation. So Brett Sapinski out of Union, I think you might want to watch just because Union's starting to have a reputation for their star players get their points. They get on the score sheet quite a bit. We saw last year they got a ton of scoring out of two guys in particular, and if they can get performances like that out of Sapinski, he might make a run at the Hobie Baker as well. Yeah, Fu and Vecchioni were outstanding last year, and I think they were right to uh, name Vecchioni to the hat trick last year. But, and you're right about Union's reputation going back as I would, I think, as far as Shane Gostespierre really being uh, the first Dutchman to uh, get on the category. So it's an interesting setup, and I I need to see more out of Sapinski, but I could absolutely see him making things interesting there. A lot of candidates, a lot of mentioned almost entirely offense. So I think that's another, in terms of players that could end up making a real run, Jimmy Schultz seems like he's all alone in this. He's the only defenseman we've talked about so far. Now, of course, that could change. We still have a lot of season left to go, over half of the season left to go, in fact. So expect it to change. But right now, Jimmy Schultz is kind of on his own in terms of Everyone else that we're talking about right now is a scorer separating themselves from other scorers, either by getting assists or by getting goals, whereas Schultz a defenseman, so he really has to take even more of a leadership role. He spends more time on the ice. If you want uh, another defenseman who I would consider, this guy will be hampered because he's playing on the same team as two other guys we've mentioned, but Jordan Gross of Notre Dame is the other defenseman that I would uh, be hard-pressed to leave out of, uh, of any possible consideration for, for this. He'll at least be contending for, uh, for a position as one of the best defensemen and maybe be an All-America this year. But it would be a lot of fun to get to see uh, if he could push Schultz for being the best defenseman in the nation. I agree on that, and there's... There's a lot of season to be played, of course. We've mentioned that quite a few times in this discussion. But, you know, it is getting to that point in the season where you can start to see certain players really assert themselves that I think right now, all things being equal, Jake Evans is already in the Hobie Baker discussion. He's already, he's the clear leader in the country in scoring. So looking at numbers like that, we do have to start talking about it because with some players, they've already started to make their case. Oh, absolutely. Evans is leader in the clubhouse right now, but there's half the season left to go. Um, and probably Morris is the leader in the clubhouse for the Richter Award, but there's there's a lot of time left to go this season. I'm just happy that uh, there's plenty of points for discussion on both these awards. Read on that. Chris, you mentioned you're going to be at at the BU game at the BU versus UMass Lowell game on Friday night, and at Connie Forum for Northeastern at BC on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to be at the UNH Merrimack game on Sunday. I am driving all over New England for uh, for this weekend. Well, at least the fir- the middle game should be pretty close to home. Just being over in Newton, so it's not that far. Yeah, all of it's pretty close. New England is contained enough that you can do it. Also, the other thing I'm working on for Inside Hockey, I'm reading um, Jack Park, the new book that just recently came out about uh, the 78 Terriers, and I'm going to do a book review for Inside Hockey on the on uh, on the write-up. Uh, on the book, I mean. One of the more memorable teams college hockey's ever had, of course. You can't talk about the Beanpot's history without talking about how weird 1978 was that everyone got snowed in during games and they ended up kind of stuck in the old Boston garden. So that was, that was the 78 Terriers. So that'll be, that's an interesting read and it'll be interesting to see what your take is on that. Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com. Where can people find you on Twitter? At CC Lynch Wall on Twitter and at CC Lynch 16 on Instagram. 
All right, excellent. Everyone, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate the subscription. Again, you can check out our link on the Blog Talk Radio page for a free trial of HBO. Right when you finish your last final, you'll have plenty to do, plenty to plenty to watch. And enjoy the college hockey slate this weekend. I'm excited. There are going to be plenty of games on TV. I get, I'm lucky because Florida is kind of everywhere in the world right now. So we get very deep cable channels because of all the snowbirds. So I get Nesson. I get a couple of the northern networks that show college hockey from time to time. So I'll have some games to watch. Hopefully North Dakota and St. Cloud State looks like it'll be on. And, of course, BU at UMass Lowell is going to be on Nesson, so I'll be able to see that. So I'll be watching some games this weekend. I hope everyone else out there has the chance to as well. Best of luck on your finals if you have them. This has been Huck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams. And as always, keep your head up and your hits clean.